Hey, uh, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3. I'm so excited about our study today. It's kind of crazy actually, but, uh, but before we start that, I wanted to share, Charity, is it okay if I share about what you told me? In fact, come on up here, will you? Charity uh, is from Ghana, as some of you know. You've met some, how many of you know Charity? She's awesome. Come on over here, right over here. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we did uh, a study about the brokenhearted, and, and uh, you know, my dad had just passed away, and she shared with me that uh, her mother was very sick back home in Ghana. And, you know, she was going to try to get there in time, you know, before her mom passed away. Her mom was a very strong believer. And uh, so um, that was two weeks ago, right, from today. And uh, I was talking to Charity this morning, and her mom passed away on Monday. So she wasn't able to get there. But she had this incredible dream. And I, and I, I can you just tell us what, can yeah. you share that? You have to use the microphone, though. Can you turn it up a little bit, though, uh, Chris? Uh, because I thought it was just amazing. Like I said, she wanted to get there in time, and then she had this dream that night, like Sunday night here, but you know, five hours ahead there. So why don't you tell them about that? You gotta get close to the mic though, okay? Oh, okay. Praise God. Um, that Sunday, um, my mom was sick uh, like Wednesday. So my sisters took her to the hospital the next day, which was Thursday. So as she was in the hospital, uh, they be calling me, updating. So uh, Sunday night, and they were telling me uh, like uh, she's she's not responding. So, and I couldn't sleep the whole Sunday night. But like around 2 a.m., I start uh, falling asleep, and I had this dream that I was there, and my sister said, "Come in and." see mom. So when I went in the dream, I hold his, her hand. And then I say, mom, I'm here. And then she look at me, she said, oh, okay, but I'm going home. Then I said, no, we're still at the hospital. So, and then she laughed and said, just leave me, let me go. Then I said, no, 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 you're not going anywhere, I'm here. And then all of a sudden, I said, she disappeared. And then I say, oh, no, 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 and then I wake up. When I wake up, I was like, what is this dream? So at that time, I pick up the phone. I wanted to call, but I can't. I'm kind of frozen, and I didn't call. So two hours later, my sister called me. I said, mom passed out. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So that's the dream, and after that dream, Two hours later, again, I was like dozing off. And then I had another dream that there was a, a car park. And was, it's only two people can stay in that car, and the driver, and then my mom quickly jumped in the car, and the car just drove. So when they, they were going, I was just looking behind me. And I didn't see any uh, house. The road was so long. The only thing I can see the road was like a, a narrow path. And all what I can see is the green grasses. Then my mom was waving, smiling. Then I was like, 
who is she waving to? And I didn't see anybody, I didn't see any house, and they were just going, going, and then they disappeared. So I know my mom, she went to a better place because she's a very strong believer, and uh, she loved the Lord to the fullest. Wow. So uh, this will give us courage to tap into the faith and love God and mm. do his will. Wow. So that one day we came. Is that incredible? Yes. You know, she did. She wanted to get there, but God gave her uh, this uh, this very incredible dream. Yeah. It's very sweet. So she's going to go uh, on the 20, 28th. She's in school. That's why she couldn't just go. And besides the fact, it's uh, not an easy trip to get there from here. So well, let's pray for her now, the, the family, and they're going to have a memorial service uh, for her mom. Father, we thank you for uh, your grace and mercy to us, how you do speak to us in a lot of different ways, and you brought that comfort to our sister Charity, Lord. We, we do pray for the rest of the family. You'd, you'd comfort each one, Lord, as they uh, go through this time of uh, heartbreaking uh, separation. Lord, we, we thank you uh, for the memorial service. We pray that that would uh, be an honor to you and an honor to her mother and that people would also hear about the Savior Jesus, Lord. So thank you for, for her and uh, bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank Thanks you for coming out, coming up. Amazing. Amazing. So John chapter 3 we, uh, we've had a few weeks in between, obviously, with different things that have been happening. But the last time we looked at uh, John chapter 3, we talked about the fact that we're kind of all drowning in quicksand. We're all, we're all sinking. We're all hurting. We're all in trouble. And there is no way out unless we find Jesus the Savior and that, that God sent his son into the world to save us if we will only but grab onto his hand, if we'll only reach out for the hand that's reaching down to us. We're all infected with sin, and, you know, it's just the reality of it, and, and the end of sin is death. And for all who would believe in him, all who would trust in him, we would have eternal life. That's the promise that, that the Word of God gives us, and spelled out here in this last section. So I think the question I, I asked then is, why wouldn't everyone believe? You know, if that's the promise, if that's what we have to look forward to, why wouldn't everyone believe? Well, it says there, he explains that, that men love darkness instead of light. Men hate the light. Men won't come into the light because their deeds are evil. They're afraid to just say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm just a sinner. We're, you know, we don't want to admit. In fact, we like our sin. But until we come to the end of ourselves in that place where we realize, you know what? This is leading me nowhere. This is really leading me to death. And the only gate, the only path, it's interesting she talked about this path, this narrow path, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the way. He's the path. He's the only path. So... We have an interesting thing that happens here in the next section, but I, I want to ask you this question. Uh, do any of you ever have envy? Is that cute? Yes. I like that. That's kind of how I looked. I looked sort of like that when I was a kid. 
I like had hair and stuff. But you know, you know, what good is a little popsicle when you can have that giant dripping ice cream, you know? You wish you had what someone else has. Any of you ever feel that way? Am I the only one? Just me. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll do it in the first, per, per, first person. I envy what you have. I do, sometimes. I envy what you've done. You got to do that, and I didn't get to do that. You got to go there. You got to have that, and I didn't get to have that. I envy your car, and your car is nicer than mine. I envy your house. Why can't I have your house? Man, you got a house? Your house is perfect. I envy your job. I wish I had your job. Man, that, your job, you got it made. You got it made. You're, you know, none of this take this job and shove it kind of stuff. Take this job and love it. Right? That's the job I want. I want the job that you have. I want the hair you have. Or, or maybe your family. You know, if I only had your family, man. You know, a lot of these things are, are kind of different when you're in the inside, though. When, when you're on their side, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? When you get in their position, you say, well, you know, this house that you wish that you had, you don't know that it's like being eaten up from the inside with termites. You don't know how much it's costing me to take care of this, you know, McMansion. But it's interesting, it also gets to the thing of envying the size of someone else's church. Oh, no way. You're, you're way too spiritual for that. Envying the size of someone else's ministry, someone else's Bible ministry, Bible study, prayer meeting. Well, if I only had, you know, if... if how about this? Uh, envy at Christmas time. Does that ever happen? No. It only ha- well, yes. It only happens though after the presents have been opened. Up to that, you don't know. You have no clue, right? But after those presents are open, you see. <sighs> you know, I wanted that. That's why I think there's so much stress at Christmas time, too. You know, I think we, we do lose a lot of, like, what, it, you know, what we as Christians and, and, and believers, uh, you know, celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we kind of lose a lot of that because of all this stuff and, the, and the, the disappointment that happens. It's like the very worst on Christmas Day or whenever you open presents. It's like, Maybe we should just leave the presents under the tree and never open them, and then we'd like avoid a lot of that nonsense, right? And then you wouldn't have to buy any more the next year because just leave the same ones there, right? This is a money-saving proposition that I'm coming up with here. But this thing about envy, you know, uh, I found a couple of passages that, I've, that I put on the screen for you. Number one, Proverbs 14 A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. That doesn't sound very nice. 
Envy rots the bones. It like gets into the very center of your, of your bones and starts to eat you up. I still, I still wish I had your hair. Well, that's starting to eat me up right now. How about Solomon, the wisest, one of the wisest men in the Bible anyways? He says this, I saw, all, I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless or vanity, a chasing after the wind. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing it because I want what the other guy has. This envy. Oh, I wish I wasn't sick. I wish I, you know, I, did, I didn't have this problem. I wish I was like so-and-so and, and, and their, you know, perfect situation. So I know what you're thinking, like, what does this have to do with the Gospel of John, right? We're talking about Jesus here, right? We're talking about John the Baptist. What does it have to do? Well, as we'll see... It has a lot to do with what happens in these next verses. Let's start, let's start with verse 22. It says this, <clears throat> After this, Jesus and his disciples, they went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Jesus and his disciples, they went out now to the wilderness, the countryside, and they spent time out there. Some think that this, this period of time was maybe five to six months. It, it wasn't a short period of time. A little side note here, just the idea that Jesus was out there spending time with his disciples is kind of powerful. Jesus and his disciples are spending time. The, the King James Version uses the word tarried. He, they tarried. They stayed there. They, they spent some time there, this time with Jesus. And, and I think it was a powerful time. And, and we, we know in the, gospel, in, in the book of Acts, it says that, you know, they, they looked at Peter and John and they said there was something different about them. These guys didn't have a, a seminary degree. They didn't have a college education. But there was something different about them. Why? Because they had spent time with Jesus. That's radical. Spend time. They... They took note that they had been with Jesus. But anyways, they were out there. Okay, now this is Jesus and his crew, right? This is not John the Baptist. We're going to get to him in the next verse. Jesus and his crew are out in this place, and they're baptizing people, right? Okay, that's cool. Now, <clears throat> let me just make a note. In, in, in the next chapter, <clears throat> it says that uh, Jesus' disciples did the baptizing, it really wasn't Jesus who baptized. It was his disciples who were actually doing the baptizing. But it was, uh, I'm sure it was a baptism of repentance like, like John's. Uh, Jesus had a, when he came on the scene, he had a very uh, similar message. Repent, right? For the kingdom of God is near. He, he had the same message. Turn to God. And that's what the word repent means. It means to turn to him. Look at verse 23. Now, John also was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison, obviously. But, but John wanted to spell this out. Interesting, they went to this place because there was plenty of water. There was a, a lot of water there. Uh, 
you know, makes me say and think, you know, they're so much for the idea of sprinkling. They needed a lot of water. They wanted to get them in. That's why we, we do our baptize of the ocean. We want to get you all the way in and wet. A lot of water at the ocean, right? Now, John and his disciples, they're in a little, you know, different location, and they're baptizing, and stuff, good stuff's happening, right? Isn't that what it said? People were constantly coming to be baptized. It was really happening. So Jesus is over here baptizing with his crew, and John and his ministry are over here. They're baptizing. A lot of good stuff's happening. So you say, wow, isn't that great? Good stuff over here, good stuff over there. That's a great thing, isn't it? Should have been. Look at verse 25, though. An argument. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew or certain Jews over the matter of ceremonially, uh, ceremonial washing. So... This good stuff's happening, and then now we've got this argument cropping up, and, and the argument, really, the context here, if you, you say, what, what does this have to do with what he's talking about? The context is this baptizing. They're baptizing over here, they're baptizing over there, and now this argument about ceremonial, ceremonial, you say that fast. <laughs> ceremonial washing comes up, and they're arguing about that, and they're arguing, and I say, well, what does that have to do with it? There's questions that come up about it, problems, like, what is it all about? Not, no, you know, no different, really, than today, and I think, you know, I was thinking about this, I think one of the things were, you know, they were, they're talking about this baptizing, and you've got them over here, and you've got them over there doing it. First of all, like, what is it all about? And, and there's a confusion about baptizing. And, I, and, and, and when we do baptisms, I always say, do you know what it's about? And, and I want to talk to the folks. Because a lot of people think that this baptism is, it, it is some kind of ceremonial washing. In other words, it's going to wash you and make you clean and save you. Right? Is that what it does? No, it doesn't save you at all. It's a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism of turning your heart towards God. But what was happening here is that, that John's disciples are having this argument now and really about that, that some were maybe doing it the wrong way. And whose was better? Was John's better? Was Jesus' baptism better? Which, which, baptism would, you know, which baptism meeting would you go to? Verse 26, they, that is, these guys that are having this argument, and especially John's own disciples, his own followers, says they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Oh, I see. Who is it that he's talking about, right? He's talking about Jesus, right? He's talking about that one over there. He doesn't, they don't mention his name, but they say, you know, you know, John, the one you talked about over there, well, he's over there, he's baptizing, and everyone is going to him. I, I think there's a little bit of hyperbole in there, right? You know the definition of hyperbole? 
Extravagant exaggeration. Well, everyone is not going to him. Because a lot of people, it says they were constantly, they were coming to John the Baptist. Stuff was still happening there. But they didn't like what was happening over there. Right? You see the problem here? Now, when you look back, and, and I looked back to see, well, what did John the Baptist testify about Jesus? Because they said, you know, they said, you know, the one you testified about, I look back and see, what did he testify? He testified that, that Jesus was the true light, that, that John testified about himself, that he was not the light. He said that, that he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He says, I am not the Christ, John the Baptist said. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said all this, and, and, and they said, they knew, you testified about him, but I guess maybe they weren't listening. They didn't quite get it, like... Well, he is baptizing over there, and everyone is going to him. It's like, John, we're your followers. You know, we got something going here, but who does that guy over there think he is? John, you are John the Baptist. You have the patent on this thing. You are the guy. That's why we're with you, don't you see? That guy over there, he's like a threat. He's a... He's a threat to our work, our ministry. Say, that could never happen in the church, right? That could never happen in, in, with spiritual people. This is what's happening right now. It's happening right there. You know, churches are always great until you get people involved. Ministries are always wonderful until you get some kind of people involved. And then, and then it just like goes insane, like the human, humanity of, of who we are starts coming out. And that's what was happening here. This envy, there was like competition. There was like comparison. I, I confess, I've, I've, you know, I've been doing this a long time now. I'm, uh, you know... You know, in the early, earlier days, you know, it's so easy to fall into that. Well, why, you know, it's happening over there. Why isn't it happening here? Warren Wearsby said it's easy to get caught up in competition and comparison. It's easy to get caught up in that. It's easy to get caught up in it in church life. It's easy to get caught up in our own personal lives. Competition and comparison. You, you, th you don't have to think very far about Jesus' disciples. Did they ever do that? Yeah. You know, they, they had these arguments along the way when Jesus was kind of like separated a little bit from them, so he wasn't, he wasn't right in the group when it was happening. What did they do? They, you know, they argued about which one of them were the greatest. No, no, no. No, Peter. I'm, you know, I just you know, ministered there, and that was really powerful. And Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? So this is what's going on here. This is comparison, this envy, competition. And this is, this is in the, you know, the very beginning, right? This is, you know, 
John the Baptist and Jesus. Like, it doesn't get any more, you know, fundamental than that, does it? And yet, that's what's happening. But you look at John the Baptist's response. It's like, it is such a powerful, powerful statement. And and I think it applies not only to what was happening there. I think it applies to us as well. Look at verse 27. It says this, to this... To what they had said to him, John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. It's it's like, don't you see, John saying to them, don't you see, this is all a gift. It's all been given to me. What you have has been given to you. What I have has been given to me. The, the NIV uh, study Bible says this. This is true of Jesus and John and of everyone. Both had what God had given them, so there was no room for envy. You see, when we envy what someone else has, who do we really have a problem with? Well, we have the problem is it stems from within ourselves. But if it all comes from God, then who do we really have a problem with? We have a problem with God. Why did you give them that and you didn't give me that? Where does success come from? Where does the stuff we have come from? Well, I deserve more. You know, if, if you watch commercials now, I want you to think about this, uh, or do you just turn them off when they come on? Uh, you know, but there's so many commercials, and they, and, and they use this word a lot. You deserve to have this hair color. <laughs> You deserve to have this car. Why do you deserve to have it? Why? You deserve. But this is what James said. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You know... John Corson, the pastor in, in uh, Oregon, he said this. He said, it is solely because God sovereignly and graciously gave you the necessary desires, abilities, and provisions. He said this, and listen carefully. He said, truly, God uses and blesses us not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. It's really not something I deserve. It's not, you know, my choice. It's, it's his sovereign choice. It's his gracious choice. By the way, I want you to look ahead to chapter 4 because we see here that Jesus wouldn't have any part of it. Jesus wouldn't have any part of it. Look at chapter 4, the first two verses. It says this, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. Verse 3, when the Lord Lord learned of this, he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. He wouldn't have any part of it. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. A man can receive only what is given from heaven. Where 
Did you get what you have? Who made you? Who created you? Where did, where, where did you get the stuff that you have? You say, well, I worked for it. Yeah, but who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you breath and life? Who gave you the opportunities? You say, well, God didn't have anything to do with any of that. Well, I think he did. I think he's a little more involved in our lives than we want to admit. Look at verse 28. John goes on, he says, You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. Weren't you listening? John knew who he was, and he knew who he wasn't. And he also knew who Jesus was. Verse 29, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. And the friend who attends the bridegroom, or the best man, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is mine, and it is now complete. You see, this analogy of the bride and the bridegroom and the best man, you know, the focus wasn't to be on the, the best man. The best man had work to do. He had, and in that situation, the best man would, would prepare things and would get things ready. But... but in the end, the focus was to be on the bride and the bridegroom. And that's, that's true of a wedding today as well. We want the focus really to be on ourselves. And, they, and, and they, they got this so confused. You see, something about John the Baptist, and Jesus had a lot of incredible things to say about John the Baptist. He said, you know, I didn't write this down, but he said something to the effect, you know, there's nobody born, how does it go? Born of a woman who is like this guy. John the Baptist. And he said, you know what? I'm just the best man, and, and, and I, my job is to point to him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, not to the best man. The church belongs to Jesus. This idea of, of you know, the competition and comparison, this church belongs to Jesus. This church belongs to It's not my church. We kind of use that language sometime, you know, when, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, Joe's church or you know, somebody else's church, you know, because they're the pastor or they're whatever. It's not their church, not my church. It's Jesus's church. He bought it. Acts 20, 28 says, with his own blood, he bought it. He paid, he paid the ultimate price for that church. So it belongs completely and totally to him. So whatever he wants to do with his church, and it doesn't mean we don't do our part. John the Baptist was continuing to do his part, Right? You and I have a part to play in it, but ultimately it's his church. And, and what he decides to do here at Calvary Green Meadow or, you know, uh, in New York City at that little church we visited when we were there called Movement, uh, you know, Calvary Chapel in San Diego, it's up to him. It's up to him. It's his church. But it's kind of, Kind of exciting, the, 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 the witness that John the Baptist gives. He has joy, right? He got excited. He was happy that, that Jesus was there. He was happy that they were gaining more disciples, that, that stuff was happening, that, that people were going to Jesus. David Guzik said, one might say that John the Baptist lost or he was losing his congregation, and he was happy about it. 
I'm not sure I could say the same thing if, you know, you all started leaving to go to the guy down the street. But in the end, right, I would have to submit to whatever God would want and, 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 and do the work that I'm called to do, be the very best that I can be. But in the end, it's his church. It's important to know, isn't it? Someone said this, no sense of envy or rivalry. But he says it's not easy to see another's influence growing at the expense of one's own. Sometimes even in our own lives, you know, we're doing something and it's actually helping someone else to be, to, to, to be in a better place than we are. You say, well, I, that's not exactly why I was helping. I, you know, if I could, you know, grow too, if I could get you know, have more too, maybe, but to have someone else just to help someone else. But that is where joy is, helping someone else. You know, the, the, uh, the uh, word J-O-Y stands for what? Jesus, others, and yourself last. But we get it kind of mixed up. We got, you know, yoj. You know, well, I need to take care of me. I got to take care of numero uno. I got to see what I need. But really, joy is when we can help other people, when we can think about them before ourselves. Final verse there we're going to look at today, verse 30. This is John the Baptist's heart. This is like who he is. Verse 30 says, He must become greater. He must become greater, and I be must become lesser. He must increase and I must decrease. That is not the kind of, you know, thought that we have in our society today. You know, the other guy must get better and I must, you know, get smaller. He must get bigger and I must get smaller and, and, and whatever we can do to help them. The, the New Testament says, think of others as better than yourself. That's not what we're taught. That's not what comes out of our own sin nature. No. John the Baptist, he must become greater and I must become less. No, self, no, no self-importance there. I don't know, though. I look around at the landscape in the, in the church and, and in our world as well, which I think sometimes the church becomes... Uh, more reflective of the world than it is of Jesus. And I see, you know, celebrity pastors. I see the, the famous name is what we're all, you know, we're drawn to the famous ones. The celebrity personalities, the famous speakers, the famous musicians, the famous worship leaders even. I, uh, as, as you know, I put together a uh, a conference each year that we call the Huddle, and we have it in, in New Hampshire, and we, we invite all the Calvary Chapel uh, uh, ministries to come and join with us, you know, and, and, and so I have, it's my job, one of my jobs in this is to, to decide who's going to come and be the speaker there, right? And I have to say that I have to think about this sometimes. If I just get somebody that no one has ever heard of, will they come? I have to think about it. A lot of times I kind of, what I kind of end up doing is like going down the middle. It's not someone who's like the very most well-known. 
and it's not somebody that no, nobody knows about, I kind of end up in the middle somewhere. But the truth is, this is kind of how we think, you know. But I, but I, I really believe, I really believe that God's in charge of, of all that. And, and just because you have a very, very large church there, there are some churches that are very, very large, and you, and you go and, and you might listen to them, and you go like, wow, what, uh, how is this possible? Like, this person doesn't even make sense, right? And then you have some very, very gifted people that are pastoring very small churches. So is it really about that, or is it about what God is doing? I think it is about what God is doing. And then we begin to envy. You know, well, well, how many hits did you get on, on your, you know, Facebook, YouTube? How many hits did you get? And then you're comparing, well, this one, this one over here got 1.5 million and I got like four. <laughs> Something wrong here, right? So I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to go home and stop. Right? Because they're getting 1.5 million and I'm getting four. I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. But, but we do that sometimes. We start to pout. And, and the envy leads us to do, and it's eating the bones, eating in the bones again. It brings us to these places. Paul the Apostle, it was happening in his day as well. Right, he says in Philippians that some were preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. That's what it says in the Bible in Philippians chapter 1. And Paul saw it and he knew it. And what did he say? He said, you know what? God's going to deal with them. I'm paraphrasing. God's going to deal with them. But I rejoice that Christ is being preached. Even if their motives aren't perfect or right. But Christ is being preached. Think about, too, you know, it says, it says in, the, in the Gospels that, you know why they handed Jesus over to Pilate? It says they did it because of envy. The religious leaders of the day, they were envious because people were looking to Jesus. They didn't want it. They wanted them looking to themselves, right? And Pilate could see it. Pilate tried to derail it, but, you know, it... it that's another story. So let's wrap this up. I got a, good, a few passages I want to look at, and, and uh, th- this is my my statement. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's a good thing to be quietly serving in a small way. Maybe there's nothing wrong with that. With whatever whatever it is that you're doing to serve the Lord, whatever it is that you're doing in this life that you think you need more of, you think you need a different, you need you know. You need all this, but to be content with what God has given us. So we're going to turn to two passages. Let's turn first to Philippians chapter 4. And some of you know these verses, but I just want to read them again because you know how we learn stuff? By repetition, right? Philippians chapter 4, and then after that we're going to go to the further ahead just before a couple of books before Revelation into the book of James. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. Paul the Apostle now, Paul the Apostle is writing these words. 
He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The secret of being content, no matter what your situation is, no matter what my situation is, no matter what size ministry we have. You can have a thousand people and still be discontented, you know. Verse 13, though, uh, a verse that we kind of, I think, kind of quote out of context. He says, I can do everything through him or through Jesus through Christ, who gives me strength. We use that for all kinds of stuff. You know, I can go out and do all these different things, but the context is what? Contentment. I can do it. I can be content because he's going to give me the strength. He's going to help me to be content with what I have, with who I am. You know, sometimes it's hard to look at your own picture, pictures of who you are, though, though when you see a picture of a group, who do you look for? Be honest. Who's the first person you look for? But sometimes you, it's hard to look at a picture and sound like, oh, you know. But, but, but when I think about it, I think that's how God made you. That's how God made me, just like who I am. It's funny, though, uh, Anthony found this picture the other day, and it was, uh, it, he, he, he sent it to us. We have this family uh, WhatsApp, you know, WhatsApp. And he sent this picture anyways, and it, it was this drummer, and it looked just like me. And he said, he said, Dad, you play drums? And the guy had his, you know, arms out like this, and it was like an amazing, I, I should have put it on the screen, blow your mind. He had no hair either. But God made us who we are. God made you who you are. He could have made you different. The thing is, even if you were different, you'd probably say, well, now I wish I was like the other guy or, or the other person. The secret of being content in any and every situation, whether welfare or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love... One of the facets, one of the, uh, the things about love, it says that it does not envy. I think we need more love. Let's turn and we'll finish here with James chapter 3, okay? James chapter 3, verse 14. James, anybody who know, know who James was? He was the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. That must have been difficult. <laughs> James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, and of the devil. Whoa! 
No wonder I didn't feel so good when I was envying you. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. It just, it doesn't turn out good. The stuff that comes out of it is not good. But verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's incredible stuff, huh? Peacemakers who sow in peace, they raise a harvest of righteousness. I've learned the secret of being content with what I have. I, I really am. I can, I can say this honestly. I'm content. I'm, uh, we, we always want to grow. We always want to see God doing more things. And, and but, but I'm content here with what God has given to us. I really am. I haven't always been that way, I'll be honest with you. But I'm content because, because this is, you, you are the people that God has brought together. You're the family that I have. And I, and I, and I love you and, I, and you, and I think you love me. I feel it anyways, and, and this is what God is doing. This is us. We is us, right? Can't be thinking about, you know, who should be here, who, what should have happened, but, but you, this is, this is who we are. In the end, John kept working, doing his part. Though his part was lesser, trusting that it all belongs to God. And he was happy and he was content with his part. I think that's a good example for us, isn't it? Amen. Let's pray together. Chris, you want to come up and play for us? The, the uh, truth of it is we're all human. Where do these things come from? Jesus said it, they come up from, from the belly, come up from the inside of us, the, the stuff that just wants to come up and out, you know. But God wants to do a work in us. That's why we're here, to learn, to grow, to have, to have him do a work in our lives. That's why we're here. That's why we're together. That's why we, we study the word of God, because the word of God is that which will challenge us, that, that which will, will feed us, will, will guide us and, and show us the way. Help us to learn, to grow. Our gracious Father, we come, we ask you in the name of Jesus to work in us. Maybe we've been striving and, and so discontented, so envious of what other people have and, and what other people are doing that, we, that we're, not, we're not happy at all with what you are doing in our lives. Forgive us for that, Lord. It's not healthy. May we, may we come to know you so well, Lord Jesus, that we know that you're doing a good work and the, the work that you started in us is a good work and you will bring it to completion. And we can trust you. 
We can know that you only have our best interests at heart. We can say, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, we give ourselves and all we are and all we have back to you because you gave it to us in the first place. Just take a moment and, and just offer your, yourselves and your heart up to him and, your, and just cry out to him in your heart. Connect with him. He's, you're, you're here today for a reason. He wants to do a work may not be envy, it may be something else. And, and now is the time. Before you leave this place, before you go home, to reach out and cry out to the living God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Father, we thank you so much that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We look to you. We look to your hand. We don't look to people. We don't even look to ourselves. We look to you as the God who provides. You are Jehovah Jireh, the one who is our provider. Forgive us when we've been... Uh, discontented and, and not satisfied with what you've given to us. We focus on you, we look to you. Lord, we also pray for this morning as we close for any who maybe have never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and, and don't know what life is. If that's you, you can pray right now, right here today and cry out to him and say, Jesus, Please, come into my life and save me. For that's what you came to do. And as I celebrate Christmas this year, I'll be celebrating new life. Eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And let's all stand and sing together, shall we? at the cross, at the cross.